0: The preaching of God's Word is in Luke chapter 17, and particularly verses 22 through 30. You'll remember last week, in considering the previous verses, Christ noted that his kingdom has already come. There is an alreadyness to the Lord's kingdom. It is present. He is at work, advancing his cause. But now we look, verses 22 through 30, that there is yet more to come. So hear then the Word of God, Luke 17, 22-30. And He said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth Out of the one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things, and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, the flood came." and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. As far as... God's word. These verses then for the preaching of his word. And remember that what gave rise to this was the challenge of the Pharisees that's recorded for us in verse 20. When the kingdom of God should come. That is, they're asking, when is it that the kingdom of God is going to appear? When is it that you're going to bring to pass all that we think you should bring to pass? How is it going to take place? When is it going to take place? And Christ responded by noting, as it is in verse Twenty and twenty-one. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, that is outward display. Neither shall they say, "Lo, here!" or "Lo, there!" For behold, the kingdom of God is within you or among you. And so his point is that the kingdom of God has already made its entrance. It's already made its arrival. It awaits, as we the passage now before us, its final display, its fullest display. But his point is, I, the King, am here, and I am already at work establishing and building up my kingdom. Now, notice verse 22, there's a transition. So, he's answering the Pharisees in 20 and 21, and now from that, he turns to his disciples, and he speaks to them, and he gives clearer information. He's giving greater understanding. It's here where he opens the idea that there is the already of the kingdom being here, and yet, the not yet, of its fullest expression. So notice in the text, there is this identifying of this matter. He says the days will come, they're not yet here, the days will come when ye, my disciples, shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You would desire for me to be among you. What's he saying? There's coming a day when I won't be around. You'll see me no more. He makes this plain again and again throughout the Gospels. There's a day coming when I will depart. And this is, His preparing of them. And he says, when I'm gone, verse 23, there will be those who say, see here or see there. The idea is, look, here's where he's gone. Here's where he is. And Christ says, don't listen to them. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. Brethren, if people throughout the history of the church since these words were spoken would have heeded just this one expression, many would have been delivered from the sham of false teachers who said, here's the arrival of Christ. Here's the new incarnation of Christ. Christ has foretold us. Don't listen to those false teachers. And he says in verse 24, here's the reason, because it won't be a secret coming. When the lightning flashes, everyone beholds it. It starts in one, and you can think of these spectacular displays of that stream of light that goes from the one end to the other and lightens the whole world, Christ says, when I return, it's going to be as obvious as that. You can imagine this. Now in our day, of course, we have electricity. We have lights that are turned on. But imagine being outside in the midst of darkness. The clouds cover all light. The stars are covered. The moon is covered. All is black above you. And if you're standing outside and the lightning flashes, everyone realizes what's taken place. This is Christ's point. When I return, when the Son of Man comes again, no one is going to have to wonder, what what took place? Is this the case? Is it happening now? All will realize the same. And notice throughout this, he's referring to himself as the Son of Man whereas that does, of course, hold forth His humanity, it's actually a title taken from the book of Daniel primarily, which testifies of the Messiah, who is the glorious King. It's a royal term that is used. When the King comes, the One who has been appointed in His day, everyone shall see it. But He again returns to the not yet. Verse 25, First must He suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. What's he doing but preparing his disciples to say, don't think that this is going to come quickly. Don't think that now that I've said it, it's going to be instantaneous. No, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be reproached. I'm going to be rejected. But then he goes again to the what's coming. And he compares to two things, Noah's day and Lot's day. Both of them, as you'll see, remind us that in those tremendous displays of judgment, life was going on as normal. And so you'll notice the language. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. In verse 28, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. All of this took place. But as soon as Noah was rescued with his family, as soon as Lot was carried out of the city of destruction, destruction engulfed, everything else that was. In other words, there was not this sort of season of a secret removing of the church that then gave a season of repentance, as it were, to others. The teaching of this quote-unquote secret rapture is unfounded in Scripture. Not only is it not explicitly taught, it's explicitly condemned. When was it that judgment fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah? It was as soon as as Lot was taken out. It wasn't Lot was taken out, they're given a day, three days, three and a half years, seven years to figure it out. The day came, boom, he rescues his people, judgment falls. And the same he says, notice, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When the judgment comes, it will be seen clearly, understood rightly, and judgment will follow immediately well brethren these are sober things but remember that christ is speaking here most particularly to his disciples and it's meant to his disciples to do two things to prepare them at that day for what's coming they were going to see their king their savior rejected suffer and so on and they would face the temptation as we see them wrestle with in subsequent chapters it's the third day and this is he whom we thought would be the son of man christ is preparing them for this and this is what he'll reprove in them when he testifies to them of the things that were spoken by himself and by others so he's helping them to gird up themselves for the trials that are coming he's also protecting them from the errors that should follow and he's instructing them not to be as the world, just to carry on in sort of common life, but rather to live with a consciousness that Christ Jesus is going to come. Now, why is He doing that? But that He would, as we get to in verse 33, "...whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it." Here's the point. Christ is giving us help for the radical call He gives to us as to denying ourselves and losing our life. Why is it that we with joy should deny ourselves and not live as the world does? Because we know the King who's coming. We live in light of that day. Why is it that we order our lives in such a way that the world looks at and sort of scratches their head and says, this is ridiculous. It's because we know not only the judgment is coming. But we know the King who is coming. And so all of this is meant to encourage his people, exhorting them, yes, warning them, yes, but encouraging them in light of his future and certain coming. So consider three things regarding Christ's return. Firstly, that Christ's return, as basic as this is, yet needing to be emphasized from the text, will be public and clear. Secondly, that Christ's return will be sudden. And thirdly, that Christ's return will be unto judgment. Certainly, there is a sobering quality to this, but there is an instructing purpose, which is meant to, yes, if needed, bring about repentance, but to confirm and reorder our attention as to seeing why it is we live as we do. Because we're living in light not of some mythical fable, but in light of the truth that is coming. Children, think of this for a moment. If your parents were to say to you on a Thursday, tomorrow we're going to go on a trip. And they show you the plans, they tell you where they're going, and you get excited and you think about where you're going. You start packing your bags, you start gathering up. what Parents say you should gather up. You may have looked at, well, I thought tomorrow was going to do this, but I see that we're going here. You prepare in light of tomorrow. Now, what's going on here is something similar. Christ is saying to His people, not literally tomorrow, the next day, but He's saying there is a day coming when I will return in glory unto judgment. That's why you're to be living now in such a way as I call. Because there's a day certainly that is coming. The world doesn't get that. The world doesn't care about that. But God's people, Christ's disciples, do. Well, firstly then, Christ's return will be public and clear. Notice, you can see this in verses 23 and 24 as well as in verse 30. Some will say, look here, look there. The idea is sort of secretly, we've discovered, come with us and we'll show you where Christ is. That's not public, that's secret. You know, Come with us and we'll show you these things. But notice Christ reproves and corrects that and says, "Look, it's like the lightning." Now, children, when you're in your bedrooms, if you have a window and a th- thunderstorm passes through and the lightning flashes, that can be hard to sleep in. You're even still inside, protected from the elements, and yet the lightning flashes so brightly that you are unable to sleep. How much side? And the lightning is flashing. You've heard the story of Martin Luther. When he was unconverted still and he's going through the woods and the lightning storm strikes and trees are getting struck here and flashes are right next to him and he cries out falsely to St. Anne that he would become a monk if he would be delivered. What's going on? There is such an undeniable testimony of the storm that was there. It gripped him, of course, in his conscience. But here's the point for us lightning is clear. You don't sit there looking at the stars or at the sky and say, what was that? Was that it? No, it's something that flashes and everyone sees it. And notice how emphatic Christ is about this. It's not just a little whisper, a little dull sort of faint thing. He's comparing it to the brightness of an overwhelming electric storm. lightning That lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven. In other words, he's not talking about the distant sort of dull little flashes that are off on the horizon. He's talking about such an electrical storm, such a lightning storm, that when you're under it, it's as if the bolt starts all the way on one horizon and flashes through its rivers of lightning all the way across to the other. You've seen this perhaps when it's through photography captured and these strands of lightning that go all the way across. This is what he's not just comparing himself to any sort of storm. He's comparing himself to this all-encompassing strike of lightning that covers the whole blankets the whole sky above. And notice he says verse 24, so shall also the son of man be in his day Not in His day that now is. No, it's not come with observation. It's begun. It's as a seed that's planted. But in that day that is to come when He returns, it'll be openly acknowledged, openly publicly witnessed. Notice verse 30. It speaks of when the Son of Man is revealed, uncovered, right? So children, you can think of this for a moment. You get a gift from a friend perhaps, and it's Bound up, it's wrapped up, it's in a bag, it's in a gift sort of package, whatever it is. You don't know really what it is. It's something, you have to guess, perhaps you wonder what it is, but as soon as it's opened and pulled out, you see what it is. Or if I were to say, I've got something in my hand behind my back, you can guess, you can hope, you can dream, you can wish, but you don't know what it is until it's pulled out and showed to you. This is what Christ is saying. There's a day coming when Christ will be uncovered, made known, revealed. Every eye, as the Scriptures say, shall behold Him. Every eye, every person shall see it. What's the point? Christ's return will be a visible, a physical, a real return. So all the nonsense that sort of plagued previous generations that said, well, Christ's second coming is more of a spiritual Coming, right? It's the idea that he comes and he sort of sets up shop in his people. Well, the truth, of course, that's not because of his second coming, that's because of his first, that he's living in the midst of his people. What Christ is here referring to is that day when he shall return from heaven. Do you remember when the apostles looked up at Christ's ascension? He goes up into the heavens, and the angels say, Why do you stand here? gazing into the heavens. And they're told, as He has gone up, so shall He return. It will be physical, visible, clear, and it will be glorious. This return will be visible and so public. And secondly, as it will be public, it will be unmistakable. This is related to what's mentioned in verse 24. As the lightning, all will see it, All will acknowledge it. None will have to say, I wonder what that was. Are you ever in the room and some sound takes place, it's dull, it's quiet, and you sort of have to turn off other things. You mute the speakers, you perhaps focus in the direction, and you wait, what was that? Sometimes fire alarms, the batteries start to go, and they have that incessant beep that takes place every five or so minutes. The first time you hear it, you're wondering, what is that beep? What's going on? And you have to sort of hone in and you turn off other things and it goes again and you say, what is that? And you get up and you look around and you're looking for it and finally you stand under it and you see the light flash. You hear the beep and you say, oh, it's this. For a while you didn't know what it was. Well, with Christ's return, it will be unmistakable. It's not going to be, what was that? Was it something? Was it something important? Was it something significant? No, when Christ returns, it will be most clear to all men. We can borrow from what Christ says referencing Noah's day and Lot's day. Who in Noah's day was sitting there saying, is there rain coming? Who in Lot's day said, as they saw the fire and brimstone falling from heaven, is this happening? You know, Is this just an illusion? They realized it clearly because it was undeniably clear to them. It was unmistakable. All will see it All will acknowledge it. It's visible and it's unmistakable. So brethren, if these things are true as the Lord's Word tells us, then this is something that we ought to take to heart when false teachers arise as they have and as they will. And they say things like, oh, Christ has returned. It's somewhere in India. No, it's somewhere in the Middle East. It's somewhere here in North America. And it's secret. You know, Let's go and see it and find out and so on. People have been misled by that simply by not taking heed to the written Word of God. This is also something to remember. Children, think of this for a moment. If you were told, listen, favorite sports star, favorite athlete, he's making an appearance at some gathering at this building and so on, you'd be anticipating it. Your mom or dad come to you and say, we're going to go and see this. You know, We're going to get an autograph or take pictures with that person, whatever it is. Be anticipating that. You'd be thinking about it. You'd be looking forward to it, perhaps. How much more should we be anticipating and thinking about the certainty of one who is above everyone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is publicly going to come? Now, you and I miss out on opportunities in this world of seeing different people. But here's the point none shall miss out on this. Every eye shall behold Him. In fact, the Scriptures testify, it's not merely those who are alive at coming, but as the Scriptures testify, the dead shall be raised up at that day. Every eye shall behold Him. Now notice, secondly, this public and clear return will likewise be a sudden return. We could say it this way, it will come with an interrupting power into the lives of men. Have you ever been interrupted before? Parents, some of you know what it is to be working on something and a child comes in and interrupts you and it sort of throws you off your course. Or perhaps at work, you're working on a project, someone comes in and wants to chit-chat and it throws you off your course. You have a plan, you have a purpose, you're going about it, you're getting into the groove, as we say, and something comes in, boom, and disrupts it. This is what will happen on the last day. Notice as Christ says, normal life is going to be taking place. Verse 27, there will be marriage. Verse 28, feasts and business and industry. Everything will be taking place as normal. So those of you who have been married, you can think back to when you set your wedding day and all of the plans that were taking place to get to that moment. That's going to be happening. You can think about your wedding day. And okay, this is the time it's going to start. This is the minister. This is where we're walking. These are the vows we're going to say. After that, we're going to have this cake and these pictures and go here and go there. Aunt so-and-so, uncle so-and-so, grandpa's going to be there. All of these plans are engulfing our day. And Christ is saying, that's not going to stop. That's going to be taking place. And in fact, some will be experiencing that when I return. And then notice he says in verse 28, like in the days of Lot, they did eat and they drank. They're feasting. They're eating. They bought. They sold. They're involved in business. They're planting and building. They're going about their normal calling. It's not as if what's going to happen is there's going to be a season where everyone sets everything else aside and is there sort of waiting for the moment. People are going to have awakened to go about their nine-to-five job. People are going to have awakened for their wedding day. People are going to have awakened for having friends over to eat and drink. You think of how sobering this is when you think for a moment of the account of September 11th in our own nation's history. There are harrowing stories, sobering stories as well, of people who awakened... And they said goodbye to their wife, they said goodbye to their children, they went onto a plane, which plane wrecked into uh, the Twin Towers, or crashed into uh, the Pentagon, or was taken down in the open field. These things happened. They were done, they were dead, it was over for them. Completely unexpected. If you've ever flown, you know the sense, I'm getting on, this is when it's To depart, this is when it's to arrive. I've got my plan of where I'm going after that. I've got my purpose for when I arrive. That was their life. And yet, that moment was their final moment. It was done. Their purposes, their plans. Perhaps they said to their wife, You know, I'm going to go here, and when I get back, we're going to go and do this. You know, that vacation we were thinking about, we'll take it when I get back. All these things were taking place. People in the Twin Towers had gone to work. Some of them with office jobs, others as janitors, and they were going about their normal course. And yet, the normal life that they had experienced, perhaps for years, if not decades, was going to be massively interrupted. Spouses which said goodbye to their spouse, as they had consecutively for years before, unbeknownst to them, were saying goodbye for the last time. Now, why do we point this out? For some sentimental journey? No. No. Because this is what Christ says His return will be like. People will have slept and gotten up. They'll have done their morning workout. They'll have drunken their morning coffee. They'll have watched the news, read the paper, gone through their social media. They'll have dressed themselves, gone to work. They'll be in the field working. They'll be in the office working. All of these things will be happening. Children will be going to school. Children will be playing sports. Everything will take place as normal. And He says, and yet... At that normalcy, at that normal routine, it's then that the Son of Man shall be revealed. It's strange how we can take comfort in routine. It's something that's normal and natural for us. When our routine gets thrown off, we get aggravated. We get sort of short and uh, it's frustrating. But when we're in a routine, things are going along as planned. This is Christ's point. The routine will be taking place. The comfort will be experienced. The false sense of security of the normal course of life will have caused many to become drowsy and unprepared for the massive interruption that is coming. Now, before we go further, it's worthy of asking, is your normal life doling you to the call of Christ. So in other words you can think of it this way, you know, I've got a job, is my job dominating my life? I've got a family, is my family dominating my life? I've got hobbies, are my hobbies dominating my life such that I've made them to be the fixation of my attention? And in truth, whatever else I would like to say in truth, that's what has dominated my life. And I'm no longer thinking about the life that is to come. This should be a moment to awaken us to the reality that that's a false way of living. We're not saying that we shouldn't be diligent in our calling. Of course, we should. The Bible itself says so. But what Christ is getting at is we should not, as it were, just go through our routine and think this is the normal way. This is what will always be. Oh, it will be always. Until that grand interruption. And what happens at that sudden return? While normal life is dominating, Christ comes in his glory. So we see that in 2 Peter 3, as mentioned. But notice Noah's day, it's going on. Noah enters the ark, verse 27 and the flood came and destroyed them all. Not Noah and the household that went in with him, but everyone outside of the ark. Notice Lot. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven. Here's a point that Christ is making. When that day that is appointed comes, there's no holding back. The interruption that's going to take place. It'll be comprehensive. It'll be full. It will fall upon the whole of the world. This will be a sudden thing. Now, it's true. There are, as Christ says elsewhere, signs of his coming, but not as the dispensationalists wish to read into that things that they aren't. We know two things in the scripture that at Christ's day were prophesied yet to have come to pass. One, was the identifying of the Antichrist, as we see elsewhere in the Scriptures, and two, the calling again of the Jews to himself, as you see not only in Romans 11, but elsewhere in the Scriptures as well. So it's not as if the Bible is calling us unto this false anticipation. It's that he's calling us to live now in light of the certainty of his coming whenever it is to come. So sometimes in evangelicalism today, there's this false idea that's been said, you should live because Christ might come back today. Brethren, let's be clear. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the Jews have to be called first. That hasn't happened yet. Christ is not going to return until the Jews are called again. We know that. Not because it's a view that we have, but because of the Scriptures teaching that. So what does that mean? Does that take out... The leveraging of these things? No. What it's telling us is that we should live still in the light that when Christ comes, it will, He will come unto, as we'll see now, judgment. His return will be said, and on the last day when He returns, life will be going on as normal. But notice now thirdly that Christ's return will be unto judgment. And it's not just judgment of, as it were, that generation, but of all men. Christ's return, as it will be public, as it will be visible, as it will be sudden, Christ is actually emphasizing this point. It will be unto judgment. It's a just judgment. Do you remember in Genesis 6, it testifies of God serving the world and seeing wickedness that had engulfed the earth. It's not this sort of petty Uh, way of God toward the world in that generation, sin is evident. And he's bringing judgment upon them. In Lot's day, we don't need to spend too much time on that, but you can see the gross abominations that had gripped that society of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's inexcusable. It's undeniable. Wickedness was permeating. And so the judgment that falls upon them is just. As in Noah's day, and as in Lot's day, so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There will be sin that is calling for judgment. And let's be clear the judgment that will fall upon the heavens and the earth and all those outside of Christ will indeed be a judgment most just. It will be unto judgment. But brethren, notice this it will not be a judgment that engulfs everyone. This is a subtle point that Christ is emphasizing. Notice, Noah and Lot are rescued. Notice in verse 27, "...until the day that Noah entered into the ark." Likewise also, as it was, verse 28, "...in the days of Lot," verse 29, "...the same day that Lot went out of Sodom," It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. What's Christ saying? The judgment will engulf all of those who are outside of grace. So, we'll see this next week. You know, Lot's wife goes with Lot initially, but turns back, showing her affections to be in the city of destruction. But the point that Christ is making is that whereas it will be a judgment unto the damnation of multitudes, it will be a day of salvation unto those who have heeded His promises and embraced His provision. And so when we think of this day which will be a day unto judgment, brethren, we also have to remember that this day which will be unto judgment will be a day unto deliverance for God's people. This is why Peter is saying, as we read in chapter 3, seeing that you know these things, what manner of men are ye to be? You ought to live in light of the truth of what's coming, both in light that the world and its sin will be engulfed in judgment, but as well in light that those who have patiently waited for His coming, that those who have longed for the day of Christ Jesus, whose lives have been showing their anticipation of His coming, they shall be in that day delivered fully, finally, and everlastingly. This return will be unto judgment justly inflicted against all who are outside of Christ. But the judgment will fall only upon them. And all those who as Noah heeded the promise of Christ and the warning of Christ, and as Lot who heeded the promise and the warning, all those who like them shall indeed know the full deliverance from these things. So, brethren, it is to be sobering to us, but it is not to be, as a believer, overwhelming to us. It's not to be paralyzing to us. It is something that we ought to meditate on and think for a moment. There are people that you and I know that will have lived their lives, as we sang by the way, in Psalm 73, who will prosper in their sin. Their lives will be largely full of laughter, largely full of happiness, largely full of outward prosperity. And yet on this day when Christ returns, all of that will mean nothing to them because they've lived in defiance against God and will be engulfed in the just judgment and wrath that Christ will unleash upon all who rejected Him. But brethren, we also ought to remember that Noah who found grace in the sight of God was delivered from that judgment. And he to a temporary new earth, as we perhaps could say, we unto an everlasting new heavens and new earth. So Christ is orienting us, yes, to be sober by the judgment to come, but also to listen well to his word. Not everyone in Noah's day was consumed, Not everyone in Lot's day was consumed, though the majority were, yet Noah and Lot were delivered. Now, obviously, we could go out to the world and ask them, are you like Lot or are you like Sodom? And most in the world would say, well, I expect to be like Lot, I'll be delivered. But if we want to identify with Lot, we should identify with Lot in all of his ways, in this sense. Remember what Peter says, he, that godly man, that righteous man, vexed himself daily. He saw the ungodliness of the world, and he was vexed by it. And he vexed himself. And he was humbled by it. And he was grieved by it. And so if we expect to enjoy the deliverance Lot enjoyed, well then we ought to experience the same humbling and afflicting of our souls that Lot did. Likewise, Noah wasn't just sort of miraculously swept up. Noah was told, build an ark. And he went about building the ark. He heeded the Word of God. And when he was told to go into the ark, what did he do? He went into the ark. And so he listened to God's Word. He followed His promises, submitted to His commands. And it was he who was then delivered. Otherwise, all who don't do that, notice as Christ says, twice, and destroyed them all. Not Noah, not his family with him, but everyone outside of the ark. Verse 28 of Lot. Verse 29, Lot escapes, and the fire and brimstone from heaven destroyed them all. It will be a universal judgment but universally upon all who are outside of Christ. So, brethren, what do we do with these things? Well, one is to consider well that this day is the day to which all history is heading. There's something fundamental about our makeup. Maybe it's this day in our con- culture, but we sort of live by one of from one event to the next event. So you can think for a moment. You have a big event at your business. You're preparing for it. You get to it. You get past it. Now you're looking down the calendar for the next event. You have a hobby that you're participating in. There's something about what's going on, a presentation, a competition, whatever it is, a a gathering of those people. You go to it. It's over and done. You look now to the next thing. Maybe family's big for you and you have this family gathering and that's over and done. And at that family gathering, you're planning the next family gathering. You're always sort of moving ahead. You've got this vacation. You get past and you think, well, what's our next vacation going to be? And you start moving toward it. You move into this house and you start to see, well, we're going to move somewhere else. Where now are we going to move? And there's always this sort of moving along. Brethren, that's natural. But there's something that we ought to glean from that in a far superior way. Our whole life, we can say more than that, every era of history is moving toward this last great day. All of us are being moved along toward it. All history is moving along toward it. Everyone is pressing toward that last great day. The day which all shall experience Christ's return. There are days that you and I will miss out on, historically. you know, There are things that we can look back in history and say, I wish I could have lived to have seen that. There will be things in the future that we would say, I wish I would have lived to have seen that, perhaps. And perhaps even in our own lifetime, there are things that take place, events and other such things that we say, I wish I could have been there to see that. But we miss out on them. There are other things that we say, I'm glad I missed out on that. I'm glad I wasn't on that or with that. You hear stories, of course, referencing September 11th, that there were even pilots who were scheduled to be the pilot of a plane that went down, that, as they would say, by chance, they were taken off of that assignment or missed that assignment. Someone else took it up. They missed out. And though there's a grief of saying, oh, you know, there's something that was taking place there, yet they're grateful that they missed out on that. Brethren, here's the point. This is a day that none will miss out on. Whether we die hundreds of years before it takes place, or we live to be 99 years old when it comes to pass, this day will come and every one of us will experience it Christ shall return. The dead shall give up the dead. Those who are living shall be gathered together. All will be there to witness this great day. And brethren, there's no day like this day. Women, you prepared so much for your wedding. Your diet, your makeup, your dress, your food, all of these things. Here's a day far superior to that. Men, you've done the same. If you've had children, you've anticipated that day, you've made plans, you've prepared your rooms and so forth, you got clothes and diapers and all these things, everything was dominated by that day. Here is the only day that should truly dominate your life. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he returns, all those outside of Christ will be consumed with an everlasting torment of judgment justly inflicted upon them. While all those who are in Christ sincerely trusting in Him shall be delivered unto the fullest joy and the richest blessing ever to enjoy for all eternity. And there's not a third group. There's not a third group that says, well, I heard about this. Give me ten minutes. All I want is ten minutes more. Perhaps you've seen some of the recent tournament of soccer, World Cup, and there's this stoppage time that gets added on. And teams that are behind are pleading for just one more minute, just one more opportunity, just one more chance. But brethren, when this comes, there won't be stoppage time. There won't be time added on. There won't be one more chance. The two groups will be there instantly divided. And from that point forward, there is no hope Not even a whisper of a hope. Not even the faintest, uh, gentlest, kindest desire of a hope. All of it shall vanish. And all those, however much they heard the Gospel, however little they heard the Gospel, will be separated unto their just damnation forever. Whereas all those who have trusted in Christ and have known His grace shall enjoy the riches of life everlasting forever. This is the one day that ought to dominate every other day of your life. So you can think of it this way. My day today, you wake up tomorrow, am I using my time such that when Christ returns, there's nothing being said, done, or not done, or not said that would shame my Lord when He comes. not saying an artificial. It can be helpful, of course, to say if Christ returned right now, would I be you know, in shame. That can be helpful. But set that aside and just think of it this way every day will be brought into account. Every word will be brought into account. Every thought will be brought into account. And so every day we should wake up and say, Is what I'm setting myself toward a day, is what I'm doing this day set up in light of that day which is to come? That when I go to work, and I'm working in my earthly calling that I'm going about it diligently, gladly, self-denyingly in order to serve others and promote God's praise. When I have the time that's my free time, you know, children will come to parents and say, I don't have anything to do. What am I supposed to do? Can I just go out and play? Can I do this and that and the other? You know, Children should think about this. I have time right now to prepare for that last day. And yet, let's be honest, adults, at the end of their long and arduous day, they come home and they say, you know, I'm worn out. I'm going to turn the television on, get my phone out, get on all these things and so forth, instead of living in light of that last day that is to come. Now we need rest, we need recreation, but let's think of this. Even the rest and recreation is meant to be engaged in and enjoyed In light of the last day that is to come, all of our life is to be lived in light of Christ Jesus the King. And, brethren, here's the encouragement as a believer you're not living in order to earn some excuse on that last day. You're living in a way to express your gratitude that Christ who returns is returning to receive you unto himself. So the believer doesn't sort of toil and go about this, quote, Protestant work ethic in order to somehow force himself in to that camp that is to be rescued. No. The believer, knowing that Christ is going to return for me, says, I'm going about with gladness to live in such a way because when Christ returns, I have the consolation, the confidence, and the encouragement, the assurance to know that He's returning for me with all of my brothers and sisters. And so it's not that we white-knuckle it through and grip and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, all these expressions we have, and sort of force ourselves through the grit and grind, grind of the day. No. It's that we orient our day with a gladness to know that when Christ returns, He's returning with a gracious purpose for me. Now, for those outside of Christ, there is zero consolation for you. There is zero consolation. You won't be overlooked. You won't be sort of misjudged. There are statistical errors. There are all sorts of errors in our society that take place today. I heard a story of a soldier who had a purpose that he had to be sure to sort of re-up his uh, um, ability to be recalled to service, and yet the letter got lost in the mail, and the time came, and though he was called back to service, he got out on a technicality, he didn't have to return because the mail got lost. Here's the point if you're outside of Christ, the mail's not going to get lost. Christ will find you out, and Christ will have no hesitation particularly you who have heard the Gospel of saying, depart from me, ye accursed, into the torment prepared for Satan and the demons. Now, why would Christ come to you right now? Well, it may be to harden you. And it may be that He has a purpose to leave you without any further excuse. But it may as well be that He is seeking to awaken you and call you to deal with the reality of your rebellion. That by His grace, you would turn to say, as today is the day of salvation, so Christ I come. And I ask, redeem me from my sins, that when that day comes, it will not be a day of torment, but by your blood and righteousness, a day of delight. Would you stand with me for prayer?